In this episode, we talk about Friday the 13th, Part 1. Starring Jason Voorhees and his mom, Pam. Ralph finds himself in a pantry. How long was he there for? We're not sure. There's a mystery at the core of this movie. It's not Jason. It's Pam. Pamela Lavori is also a, a master uh, kung fu slapper and barn fighter. Don't go out alone. Don't have sex. Don't play strip monopoly and you'll be fine. Come and spend your time with us. Hello, John. John. Oh, Brian. Hi. How's it going? Uh, it's going good, John. You know, one of my favorite memories from my boyhood, I don't know about you, but it was going to summer camp. Hmm. I went to camp once, and I hated it. I always get this franchise confused, as you know, with Nightmare on Elm Street. And yes. In, in the Freddy movies, Elm Street is the place and uh, the neighborhood, and it's referenced several times. But there were some offhand references to the weirdness around Friday the 13th, you know, full moon and so on. But I didn't feel a strong connection to uh, the date. Do you, do, you, uh, do you see a deeper meaning in the, in the title? Oh, you mean because it's called Friday the 13th, and so like the date, Friday the 13th, as if it had some... Yeah, I mean, like, if it was called, like, you know, Nightmare on Valentine's Day, you would expect some kind of connection to romance and Cupid, but instead it's, we, got, we have a summer camp and a, a first-person view who goes around stabbing people, and that's kind of, there's no connection to... Like, this all seemed to also be able to have happened on Saturday the 14th. Hmm, yeah. Well, fair enough. I think that there are a fair amount of horror movies that resonate around a holiday, and this might be influenced by Halloween. That came, That was a, a, a movie that was staged around a day, an event, Halloween. They made up their own holiday, I guess, their own, their, their own day here to encapsulate the movies. Friday the 13th, Halloween, you have... What what are some other <laughs> movies around? <laughs> All those movies about holidays. Like, a, blood, like something about birthdays, you know, there's something about uh, Valentine's was it, Day. Go ahead. Wasn't there a silent, silent Night, Deadly Night around yeah, Christmas? That's about, that, that is true, right around Christmas or on Christmas Day, yeah. And there's so, the famous Thanksgiving Day slasher. That's true, yeah. and yeah, uh, So many holiday movies. Right. Um, and Labor Day. That's a, that's a yeah, terrifying it's, day. And, and hits every year. President's Day, where <laughs> all the presidents rise from the dead and butcher Americans. Yeah, well, these are terrified movies. But that's not what we're talking about today. We're talking about Friday no. the 13th. And, and can I go a little further with dates? The, uh, the movie takes place in 1980, correct? Mm-hmm. And the, the movie begins with a flashback to the first murder, which was of two young lovers in 1958. And then correct. I believe there was nothing until 1980 so there were there were two killings in 58 and then and then a, a 22 year interlude where nobody was camping here and and then 1980 and we have a a, a dozen or so new killings am i right about that timeline that's pretty good i think that it's technically 78 the 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 year in which the camp is reopening if if you want to you know pencil in that that revision of of year and another you know piece of information is that in 1962 Pam Voorhees, I just call her Pam, she poisoned the lake and started fires because she heard that they were reopening the camp around oh. 62. Yeah, and that, that derailed that uh, that endeavor. Okay, so that was mom. Yeah. Pam. Pam. But it, yeah. apparently she wasn't able to stop 
the 1978 initiative. That's great. Yeah. That, that, uh, well, she actually kind of did, you know, it never fully opened. So do you think all the, all the, so Jason's never fully shown, is it actually Pam doing all the killings? Jason Voorhees doesn't kill anyone in this movie. Is that true? That is true. It's every, every murder is perpetuated by Pam. Hmm. I'm just terrifying name that. too. Terrifying name. It is um, short for Pamela. Right. And um, so uh, is it true then that only with Friday the 13th part two, does Jason himself now much larger and older as well takes over the killings part two for those who aren't familiar that's when uh jason Voorhees appears and yeah he's uh, much more matured maybe there was uh, some runoff from a local farm where hormones are being pumped into the lake and he's mm. growing uh you know under the under the algae and then just comes bursting out uh, as a full-grown i don't know 24 year old and um is this this seem this is the only female horror protagonist i can think of antagonist yeah antagonist well let's do a little plot line here brian just hmm. a, a short one and this is an easy one i think for you well, unless well, you, want, you want me to do it i i have i'm staring at six pages of notes front and back so maybe mm. you should go ahead and handle this one if you want it short there's this camp nicknamed camp blood at some point camp counselors were there there was a kid named jason who had some developmental issue he went out into the water and drowned. And during this time, camp counselors weren't keeping an eye on Jason. And Pamela actually was a cook at that, at that point in time. Really? The mother you, of where Jason. You, where are you getting all this Pam info from? I, 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 did, I didn't hear her first name, and I, I had no idea she, she was a cook. Oh, okay. Well, I did look at the Wikipedia page. So, um, look at my right. That, that, that could, yeah. So, might not have been released in the movie. It could be a combination of uh, resources. But, and so, um, and so then... Pam, the mom, then gets really upset about this incident where her kids drowned, blames the camp counselors for being unaware and smoking and drinking and, you know, doing things. Specifically mentions that they had been making love while he drowned. Yeah, they probably were. And I do have that she was the cook. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And uh, and so then she has uh, dedicated herself to punishing these camp counselors and making sure the camp never opens again. So no other child... Well, I don't think it's a no other child will, will experience this. I think it's more of a you guys should pay for the mistakes that you made, they being any camp counselor. So someone comes along, Steve, he is reopening the camp. He's going through and making sure the cabins are in order and hired some staff. And then just in brief, Pam is you don't see this in the movie until the very end because you get, you get this point of view of the murders She's going around and just killing all these, all these camp counselors to prevent the camp from opening. But I do have um, a bit of a unsolved mystery related to this movie because not all the details are clear on what's going on. I don't know if you noticed that Pam was driving a jeep which looked just like Steve's jeep. Mm-hmm. It was like yeah, a blue I, jeep, I, white yeah, rims. The- the movie teases that it's actually Steve, but it's not Steve, it's Pam. Well, I have a theory on that. It's like The Office. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. what's your theory? Okay, so that's the plot line. At the end, uh, Alice gets away and Pam is murdered. Well, mm-hmm. well, murdered, she was killed, but it was under defense, so it's not so much it was a murder. I don't know 
legally, I don't want to step into some uh, murky waters here related yeah. to the language here. But you, we don't want to besmirch the the reputation of Alice. That's correct. So my theory here is because there's a lot of things that are that are not said about uh, Pam. Steve, I think, is a little mysterious of a character. Hmm. And so I have a, a theory here on how these things came together. And, uh, you know, the unsolved mystery, if you would. Oh, wow. So I'm not sure if you're a fan of unsolved mysteries, but... Huge fan. I'm a, I, yeah, for me... Is this, is this just a lot? Will this be relevant to our listeners? <laughs> I think it's relevant to everyone. People know about Unsolved Mysteries. D- did you know that the guy, of, uh, the, the head guy of Unsolved Mysteries, the host, his kid died? And that's how yeah. he kind of got involved in uh, producing all these Unsolved Mysteries. So here's the deal. My theory here is that Steve, the camp owner, new owner, and Pam are having an affair, having a sexual affair. Okay. And Steve is somewhat in on these killings. Really? What evidence do you have to to support this claim? I have one key piece of evidence. Well, two, actually. First is that Anne, Annie, so she's the one that is killed first. Annie is coming in to the camp, hitchhiking, catches a ride with a local guy. The local guy says to Annie, hey, hey you know, look out. This camp blood thing is no joke. And then takes her to a point. And then Annie gets out of the car. Annie then hitchhikes and a Jeep comes up, a blue Jeep, the same Jeep that seems to be of same model, color, and attributes as as Steve and Pam's. So I'm thinking this is the same car. The front of the car has a yellow winch, very distinct, has white rims, also very Mm. distinct, seems to be the exact same car. So my guess here is that Pam and Steve are having an affair and Pam is borrowing Steve's car or using Steve's car whenever she needs to. What are the chances in a very small town that you have two of the exact same colored Jeeps, same year, same wheels, same winch? And so I'm thinking, okay, there's something going on here. And uh, clue one is that when uh, Anne is picked up, Annie is picked up by the individual in the Jeep, you hear two doors close. Hmm. When Anne kind of kind of gets out of the jeep and runs up the hill, and I have evidence here. Let's just listen here. Did you hear that? There's two doors I closing. Wouldn't wouldn't I did hear it? Wouldn't one door be Annie's and the other one be Pam's? Well, at this point, Annie is already out of the vehicle and she's just kind of scampering up the hill. Hmm. But you know, it's possible. Let's hear that one more time just to make sure. Door one, door two. And, and, and so can, can we also hear the unsolved mysteries theme a little bit more? Sure, just, to, just deep in the mystery. <laughs> just want to really get into it, you know, really feel that this is an unsolved mystery. Because it, in, in some certain ways, it is. <laughs> so, this is the idea that Steve and Pam have an affair. This is a thrill kill for both of them, mm. and so. Steve is in the back seat waiting to kill Anne. And he he opened the camp with the intention of harassing sexually and physically Mm. camp counselors. I I don't remember in in the beginning where Mm -hmm. um, uh, one of the camp counselors is 
Alice, yeah, Alice. Anne and Alice get mixed up. So Alice is at the camp by herself, and Steve is kind of flirting with her, and it feels like they may even have a sexual relationship too, based on some of the things they said and and, and things like that. So he's an exploiter. He exploits. That's what he does. And so he has motivation for this thrill kill, and that's how he's involved. One piece of evidence that is contrary to this theoretical model is that the Jeeps that drive around have different license plate numbers. Mm. Yeah. So the one that Pam drives is uh, 373 LKM. (laughs) (laughs) The one that Steve drives, XRD81C. So I I don't know. I can't. (laughs) You don't know. You can't tell where this is going. But But I have a theory on this, too. So I'm thinking that the town folk know that there is this history with Pam. And so she has a fake license plate that she puts on the Jeep Mm. in case she gets pulled over. Because if she's driving the same car as Steve and the camp and, and the town folk know that Steve has opened this camp, they're like, wait a second. Why is Pam Voorhees sleeping with Steve who's opening this camp when she knows that there's this history of the camp that she has, uh, you know, quite amount of uh, tension and, and, and she's just disgruntled about this camp. So that's that's a little cover story. Where, where are you at on this so far? So, how, how does this um, feel? I want to make sure I understand the the fake mm-hmm. license plate. The, mm-hmm. the the townies know about Steve and Pam's hypothetical love affair. So is that what you said? Well, I'm saying more or less that Pam probably feels uncomfortable driving around Steve's car because she doesn't want she wants to be disassociated from Steve. So their their love affair is secret. She she doesn't want anyone in the town to know that she, Pam, and Steve, uh camp owner, have a relationship because that might bring some level of I don't know, sort of uh surveillance about about this uh, unusual situation in such a small town. So rather than buy a different car, she drives Steve's car, just swatches out the license plates. That that magically <laughs> eliminates all suspicion. Well, I, I see what you're saying here. Um, I, I'm I'm thinking Pam. She's a she had her kid who was develop had some developmental issues. Probably doesn't have a lot of money. Appears to not have a, a husband, so possibly mm. single income and a uh, little unstable. Maybe she can't hold down a job, so she's using her sexuality to manipulate Steve. Mm. And she's seeing him as a resource. So it's she can't afford her own car. And, and just to put age into consideration here, Steve would be about 33 at this point in time and Pam around 52. So, mm. you know, some space, but not, a, not, a, not a, an insane amount of space to have a, an affair, something, nothing serious. But, you know, just a, a little dabble into the uh, erotic experience of, uh, you know, dating a crazy lady named Pam. What what do you make of the later fact that Pam murders Steve? <laughs> Puts a little twist on it. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, oh shit! Wrong tone. <laughs> yeah, I, I I see your point here, where you know another piece of evidence has been brought to light. So yeah, I I think that Pam. <laughs> Her whole scheme here is to burn down the camp at the end. That's her goal. And she's just using Steve as a tool to that. She has no real interest in having a relationship with Steve. And 
she's going to murder Steve uh, because, I don't know, just because he's a witness to that thrill kill. And so now he's an accomplice here and she needs to erase all that. In fact, you know, there's one scene where Steve is at a cafe. I don't know if you remember that. He's at a cafe. Yeah, he's yeah. drinking some coffee. He's contemplating, oh, my gosh, I can't believe I killed that camp counselor. Who am I? Mm. And he's having a little existential moment there. And that's why he's in the cafe. So, you know. That's, um, I, mm, I don't know what to make of that. What? Uh, <laughs> 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 Pam, Pam, Pam does kind of come out of nowhere. Like, one assumes it's Jason. I, I don't know what, what, what one would have assumed back in 1980 as a viewer, since one didn't know that there were all these Jason movies in the future, but mm-hmm. I, I assumed it was Jason. Right. And I, I did notice that they never really showed Jason. It was just first person viewpoint. Uh, first person camera was the killer and you never saw the hockey mask or anything like that. Sort of the iconic Jason face. Mm-hmm. So yeah, let me, let, let me uh, marinate on this, uh, on this mystery a little bit and maybe, mm-hmm. maybe something mm-hmm. I'll, I'll uh, knock loose later. Sure. I, yeah. No, I, I, um, I uh, it doesn't, uh, doesn't, uh, yeah, but where does Pam come from? That's that's a question I don't have a good answer for yet. Just a kind of short timeline summary here just to keep everything in, in you know, in a little sandbox here. And we kind of went already went over this already, but just to give credibility to this idea. So Steve, when Pamela killed the two counselors, he would have been about 12 years old. So he probably is unaware that Pam as a um, antagonist or um, a delinquent within the the area is a threat. And I imagine he's coming from out of town. He bought this property for 25 K in, in 78, which would be 120 K uh, in today's dollars. And so he probably doesn't live in that town. He probably doesn't um, have a salary that would support that at age 33. I think it was that he got money from his parents or something like that. They did, they died or something, but I see him coming at from an out of town experience. And then Pam gets wind. Oh, okay. You know, Steve, this guy, Steve is buying this property. I can't have this camp reopen. Then she uses, weaponizes her sexuality, gains uh, Steve's trust, and with her intention of sabotaging this whole thing. And then she has an affair with Steve, gets his car, she gets a shoe into when these new counselors are showing up and stuff, and then is slowly murdering these camp counselors with full intention of killing Steve at the end and burning down the camp entirely. So... That's sort of the thing here. That's uh, that's my that's my theory on the can I, can I Pam can I, propo- here. can I propose a Pam theory with the uh, unsolved mysteries soundtrack as well? Oh sure, of course. I'd love to hear your uh, theory on this. Yeah, because it is unsolved. It's still yet to be solved. Hence, unsolved mysteries. This gives me chills hearing that that song. Yeah, it brings back a lot of memories. Yeah, I I have a theory. Ralph, the town crazy. Yeah, he's he's. Jason's father with Pam. He's Jason's. Uh, he's he's Pam's father. He Oof. has uh, he has mental issues, right? Uh, maybe even developmental uh, developmental issues, which maybe have been passed on genetically. Right. Mom, Pam has schizophrenia, right, of some kind. Mm. She's channeling Jason's personality and makes his voice and so on. Mm. And so he, Ralph, feels the need to warn all these camp counselors away from their doom because he knows that Pam, his wife, is gonna gonna wreck shop what about that as a as a mystery that needs solving i think that's brilliant brian (laughs) well i think that that's a very possible scenario here 
I like that texture to the story, just hanging that plot line on on Ralph. There's one one scene actually that I wanted to bring up where Ralph is standing in a pantry, and uh, one of the camp counselors <laughs> comes in the the room and and is just going about her business, like cooking lunch or something, and then opens the pantry door, and Ra- Ralph is standing there yeah. in complete darkness. Probably have been standing there for who knows how long, but um, I think I'm gonna try and coin that term. The Ralph in the pantry is an event in a movie in which it doesn't make sense why someone would be in that space. And the only reason for someone to be there is to move the plot along. So it's the Ralph in the pantry. Well, I, I feel like the Ralph in the pantry was telegraphed a little bit when, when the policeman on the motorbike named Dorf hmm. comes out. He mentions that Ralph was pedaling this way. And um, once he once Ralph gets a few drinks in him, he uh, does silly things and <laughs> and spends a week in jail. And to add to my unsolved mystery, yeah, it's a very mysterious camp. Might have to edit out some of this. <laughs> <laughs> to add to the unsolved mystery, Officer Dorf does mention that when Ralph spends that week in jail after his drunken hijinks, his wife is very upset and calls the police and wants to know where Ralph is. So there is evidence that Ralph does have a wife who is otherwise mm-hmm. unshown. Therefore, it's necessarily Pam. Wow. Wow. A lot of loose ends here. I have some text here in my notes. Uh, the quotations from Pam. She says, I was an, I'm an old friend of the Christie's. And Steve, Steve, his last name is Christy. Hmm. And then um, she says that uh, I used to work for the Christie's. And wow. she's, she's either lying or, or someone in the Christie family has owned and operated this cabin way before Steve ever got it. Right. That's possible. Could be truth. Could be lie. Hmm. Could be a way of uh, gaining trust with the uh, camp counselors because she knows uh, Steve's last name because uh, she's uh, boinking him. I think that's mm. a term. That... Mm. I, have, I have a little, uh, maybe not an unsolved mystery, but a little, a little, a little f- trivia. Yeah. Um, you know the the stereotypical Jason sound. The that's good rendition. I was pretty yeah. good. Yeah. Thanks. Um, that I I only know this because I was watching the movie on Amazon Prime and they have those little trivia windows. I don't know if you watch movies on Amazon Prime, but... No, I didn't know they did that. Yeah, they talk about, like, little... Out, they actually mentioned the Jeep, but it was like... Although, the, the, it's a little known fact that two Jeeps in this movie were actually the same Jeep, um, just because they didn't want to pay for two Jeeps. That was mm. that was Amazon's interpretation of your unsolved mystery. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't quite Low get budget, into it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't quite realize uh, what's really going on below the surface. Yeah, but they uh, also had this little nugget... Um, People, people, people think it's uh, chi, like chi, 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 and then ha ha ha, but it's not. And this is this comes directly from the uh, movie's composer. Mm. He said that it's uh, ki, like ki ki ki, and then ma ma ma, and that's meant to resemble Jason's voice saying to Pam, "Kill, kill, kill, ma ma mom." It's inspired by by that schizophrenic voice that she hears that she uh, hears, and uh, the the composer it. created this effect by speaking the syllables K I Key and Ma into a microphone running through a delay effect. 
which I don't know if you can pull that off with our podcasting gear out here in the woods, but uh, we could try. That'd be cool. That would be cool. I can't. (laughs) Maybe next time. (laughs) Yeah. So I don't know. I would say that there are some loose ends in this movie, some, you know, some mysterious things going on. But ultimately I felt like this was a pretty good movie. I, I mean, not, I mean, there's one little tidbit from the commentary, which oddly didn't mention the idea that Steve was sleeping with Pam and there was a thrill kill and all these types of things. But uh, they did mention that there was some intention to keep the character plot lines minimal. And this had a theory of two, one that we didn't want the audience to feel disappointed and saddened because we were killing everyone. And so they they had the intention of underwriting the characters so that you had a, a bit of a attachment because you want to have some texture point one but point two not too much attachment because then you would just leave the theater with sadness and mm. disappointment because all the characters you got attached to were murdered so when someone says well there's not enough development on these characters could be a writing problem could be a intentional act so that's that's the movie the horror movie makers thinking about not wanting to traumatize the audience they wanted the audience to experience the killings of the camp's counselors with some level of attachment to counselor, but not an overwhelming sadness because their favorite character died. Mm. Well, they failed in my case because they killed mm. they killed old Neddy boy. I was I was a big Ned fan. Which I mean, one was the, that? The the fake drowning in the lake that was classic. The Humphrey Bogart impressions oh. <laughs> were just majestic, and the the stereotypical teenage boy lust of uh, a horror movie necessity was uh, i mean i i felt a, a heart twinge when and so they took that one a little too far in my opinion yeah i felt that his fake drowning was he was committed to that i could i could see like a little bit of goofiness of like i'm drowning and then when someone jumps in the water ah, i'm just joking nothing to joke about for those that are listening for our, our, our one audience member but to take it to the point at which he is then pulled out like you know, dead weight and then put on the dock and then someone starts doing CPR on him. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like that's really taken it pretty far uh, that uh, you're willing to uh, push it to that limit, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's not, not, uh, not cool. He's committed. And um, no, no sign of Jason, the young, the young lad in the lake at that point either it would have been a golden opportunity for him to, to strike. Yeah, maybe that actually, um, maybe there's an association there in purpose there where uh, Jason, as spirit, sees another fellow camp person drowning and thinking, oh, wow, I'll save this person. And that riles his spirit and then realize that he's been duped again. Double duping going on mm. in this movie. Yeah. Mm. It's a little too much duping. Yeah. Ever heard of the word kid and how that is supposed to associate to a small goat or a young goat? I have. Annie mentioned that. She did, and I didn't know that. I was like, what is this? And then, uh, yeah, is that like a common knowledge piece there, that a kid is a young goat? It's like, uh, you know, the, there's those terms for animals, like a, a, a group of crows is, is called. Do you know what a group of crows is called? It's called a murder brand. Yeah, it's like stuff like that. I mean, mm-hmm. I feel like a kid as a baby goat is more commonly known than a group of crows being a murder of crows. But mm-hmm. it's like, a who, who the hell knows where those terms appellations come from but yeah i did know that uh baby goats are called kids 
So did you like the movie? I felt like the production of it was solid. The editing was good. It was like visually interesting about three fourths of the way through. It got a bit of a grind with the different murders. Uh, but I found it to be more enjoyable uh, and visually entertaining, more visually entertaining than I uh, would have guessed. Yeah, I think that there were some <clears throat> loose ends, like the like you mentioned, the thing between Steve and Alice. Um, they used to date, I think, and Alice said something about wanting to leave the camp and go back to California and... Steve convinces her to stay another week, and and then right. that never that never goes anywhere because Steve just kind of drives off for the rest of the movie. Well, because he's going to go sleep with Pam, of course. Yeah, and um, yeah, and then the the uh, the random appearance of Ralph in the closet that was mm-hmm. that was strange. So, and then just little scenes like the strip monopoly scene and the and the snake in the cabin scene, and there was a lot of just times that weren't really a lot of a lot of scenes that weren't really connected to jason necessarily or or pam um that maybe could have been safely edited mm. but um it was uh it followed the principle i guess that you know sex by teenagers always leads to murders so right. you have to have strip monopoly maybe to set up the victimization and also everybody trundles off on their own and and pam gets them that way they're never they're never attacked as a as a unit. It's always somebody going off to check the generator, or somebody going out to pee mm-hmm. in the storm, or uh, check the archery range, and that's that's when Pam gets you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's true. Just go out single file, one by one, to go <laughs> do some task that's unnecessary in drenching rain. Yeah. Basically, if you're with another human being, you are immune. <laughs> oh, I know what I was going to say. It was that this idea of the virginal main lead survives and i felt like that was heavily discounted with the fact that it seemed that steve and alice were having an affair uh, you know as as you gave credit to where steve is talking to alice alice being the first camp counselor counselor that shows up and, and steve and alice are there by themselves and she's saying she wants to go to california and he's like no 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 stay like there's definitely a tension there they had at least had some physical makeouts possible having sex but just because you're, you know, interested in working at a camp. There's no need to have that much tension around going back to California. You know what I'm saying? Like, did you feel like there was a historical relationship between Alice and Steve? I think so. But it, he like admires her drawings while she's nailing a gutter to the house. And then, <laughs> and then that leads into him saying that she's like intelligent and really artistic and also very pretty. So mm-hmm. it's like, it's, it's like these mm-hmm. first the, you know, the first things you would say to sort of suggest your interest in someone romantically. Um, and, and that doesn't really equate to a previous sexual relationship. Like you, you wouldn't just say, you know, I think you're pretty at that point. You would, you would maybe say like, I really miss you or I want to pick up where we left off or something. So it, it doesn't seem to match up with uh, at least a serious romantic past. Maybe they had held hands or something and, and maybe she had a boyfriend still in California or something. I don't know, but. He does say, uh, he, uh, Steve says, come on, give me another chance. So they must have, right. there must have been something which uh, she ended. I think that they, on the first night, had a couple too many drinks and then had inebriated sex. And mm. then it felt like, hey, you know, you're older than me. You're taking advantage of me. And then there's a back and forth of like, now I have to establish that it's not just some 
unattached sexual experience. I have to say you're pretty. I have to say your drawings are nice so that uh, it seems like I care more about you than just, you know, well, you know, one-off thing. So I don't think Alice is this virginal character that, you know, escapes because she's done the right thing. I, I, I kind of discount that heavily. Uh, but is, is, uh, does the final girl trope require that the girl be a virgin? I don't believe that to be the case, but there is this idea that if you'd sin, then you get murdered. Mm. Final girl piece, I'm not sure of, but like, yeah, if you sin, if you use drugs, if something like that, then you get murdered by Jason or whomever. And uh, to assume that she has immunity because of some innocence is, uh, I don't think, accurate. Mm. A lot of mysteries unsolved here. It's, yeah, I feel like we haven't we haven't been helpful in this podcast because we've just exposed all these um, unresolved uh, mysteries, unsolved mysteries that, mm-hmm. you know, uh, we're, we're, we're meant to illuminate and educate our member of, of the audience. But here, here we've only added fuel to the mysterious fires. Yeah, I feel like we kind of were walking through the woods with our flashlights and yeah, illuminating certain areas that before were not visible. But then we got to the edge here and there was a cliff. And from there, you can't tell. You, you could go one way or another. There's not enough land to step onto. There's not enough plot and, and detail to give a foundation to these arguments or, or, or considerations. And then from there, it's just thin air. You could you could pick out any particular solution to this, but we don't know. We don't know. They're un- yeah. Well, they're unsolved yeah. mysteries, Brian. Yeah. And um, I think that if any movie demands a sequel to solve these mysteries, it would be Friday the 13th. We'll see. We'll and see. Maybe, you know, this, maybe not yeah. even just one sequel. Maybe like twenty-seven sequels will, will be uh, needed to uh, unpack all this. Yeah, it may require that amount of literature uh, and uh, reference material to figure out what is going on uh, historically with Pam. I, I can't imagine we'll get more information about Steve. I feel like that character is uh, kind of get extinguished. But yeah, we'll see. We'll see if this some of these uh, areas are more developed or uh, illuminated and, and, and solved into the next series. Any other thoughts here on F thirteen one? Looking forward to more. I think, yeah. Um, yeah there's a. Um, I mean, I think this. You know, it, uh, that that question I started with, like, assuming this was going to be a one off. Um, the the fact that you'd never see the killer, and then only at the end, learn that it's a woman, uh, an aggrieved mother, a schizophrenic. A grieved mother, I think, is an interesting concept. It's not really explored or sort of emphasized, I mm-hmm. guess. Um, I, I, it's, it's hard to view this movie without the knowledge that Jason Voorhees, the man, is going to be the killer in all the sequels. But I did, I did think it was cool that that's that's not at all who did the killings, and he, he, it wasn't even like. I, I guess my takeaway from the movie was that Jason really was out there. Um, and it was him doing all the killings and then mom just showed up at the end and, uh, and took on Alice, but no, according to you, and I think you're right. It it was Pam doing every killing and, um, Jason is still just, um, somehow hanging out in the lake. (laughs) (laughs) So I haven't seen all the sequels, but, um, it's a cool change, I guess, to the actual Jason, the embodied adult Jason. Right. We're, we're contaminated by time knowing or under or thinking that all Friday the 13th movies have to have Jason as the antagonist here. 
that's not the case. That's not how the series started. The series had a very small bit part for Jason. He was more of a mythological uh, sort of entity here. And then he, I guess he, he shows up in part two, uh, assumed, assumed. Don't know yeah. for sure. Hopefully they, in part two, they will explain the, a little bit about part one and, you know, what was motivating mom and um, all that. Cause um, you know, and, and how the hell is Jason now manifest as a being in part two? Uh, is it like magic or is it, was he there the whole time? And the lake scene was just a hallucination on Alice's part. Like, I, I hope they explain that a little bit. I hope that Ned, you said, who was pretending to drown, I, I hope that he was unaware that a child had drowned there 20 years previously, because uh, that's, that's, that's in bad taste. You know, yeah. he, he really shouldn't play a prank like that, knowing that such a tragedy f- fell the, uh, the Crystal Lake camp a mere co- 20 years previously. The community. And um, I don't think we can leave this episode without mentioning that Kevin Bacon appears in this movie. Mm, yeah. KB. Is there any, any anything uh, noteworthy about that? Does does he appear? In, I suppose he's dead, so he can't appear in future ones. But Kevin Bacon's dead. No, I, well, he died in in Friday the oh. Thirteenth Part One. Yeah, he uh, he never mentions that he was in this movie. At least that's what the directors alluded to: is that he he uh, avoids conversation about the fact that this is one of his first roles. <laughs> he's ashamed. That's unbelievable. Why would you be ashamed? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. You, you play a, a horny teenager who gets killed while making love and then there's two thirds of the movie left. <laughs> yeah. What? He has a minute and a half of screen time, maybe five <laughs> at most where he's uh, smoking a joint and then uh, running and jumping into water. Yeah. yeah. He does help to save Ned. Yeah, he does. You can, you can feel good about that, Kevin. <laughs> All right, sir. Well, again, we're starting here on, uh, you know, Blaze Orange, uh, mm-hmm. the first the first Friday the 13th. Um, and then we'll we'll take this to two more. We'll go to number two. Mm-hmm. We'll go to number mm-hmm. three. Three mm-hmm. being in 3D, by the way. And we mm-hmm. will be watching that movie in 3D. Because <laughs> I have the technology. <laughs> you have, the, you have the, uh, the, the travel version of 3D glasses for camping. <laughs> That's right. And the travel screen and the travel projector. It's, uh, it's all in this backpack. <laughs> wild so well, one listener stay tuned there's two yeah, more coming yeah. uh so yeah and uh we're not going to take it past number three uh you know i like to much like we did with the the nightmare on elm street series three in and then out and then yeah. friday the 13th three in and then out and then we'll probably oh, okay. hit the halloween series three in and then get mm-hmm. out we might revisit but i just want to get a sample you know a yeah. good sample i just want to sit in it like a hot tub Mm-hmm. But I don't want to get all pruney, you know. I don't want to get, full. <laughs> I don't want to get too saturated, you know. I want to get in, have a good time, and get out. Yeah, and there's so many other holiday horror movies that we have to that we have to bathe in, so mm-hmm. it, it, it got to spread our time a little bit. Right. We don't we don't overcommit like Ned does to these series. We want to, you know, get it get our get our feet wet and get a good sample, but we don't want to, you know, be gluttonous about it. Yeah. So, do we go left here or right here? I feel like it's a, a bit mysterious. What, what, hmm. What's our next? What's our next move? Oh, uh, who knows? We can never. You never really know. It's, it's it's a mystery. We can make a we can make a guess here, but whatever track we pick, we won't know what the other track is. We won't know what the other turn could have provided to us. It would be an unsolved mystery. That's right. All right, John. Okay. Bye. <laughs>